girl Harpo. Welcome to episode eight of Brown Girl Guild titled Bad Brown Girl Starter Pack. So in June of 2019, I posed a question to my followers on Instagram. What is a nice brown girl? I asked. I got tons of sarcastic answers in response, but some of them were dripping in real realities. Thank God for the archive feature on Instagram because I get to read some of those answers to you now. So number one, subservient and quiet. Number two, doesn't drink or sleep around, Mm -hmm. has majority of her skin covered, can cook and clean, lives with her in-laws, doesn't go out and sits at home all day, basically a virgin, and someone whose rotis are round. If you're a brown girl slash woman, or you have brown girls slash women in your life, chances are that you've been subject to, or seen someone in your life, be subject to these carved out roles for good brown girls. I've always internalized being a bad brown girl in contrast to these kinds of qualities that traditionally have made up a good brown girl. I'm the absolute opposite of subservient and quiet. I love to drink. I'm empowered in my sexuality. I love showing off my skin and my 11 tattoos, which is definitely not on the list of qualities for a good brown girl. I can't cook, but I am a mean cleaner, and I definitely get from my parents all the time. All that to say that if there is a laundry list of what constitutes a good brown girl, there's an even longer laundry list of all that constitutes a bad brown girl. Tattoos, drinking, and having a sexuality are just the beginning. And in my case, I'm 100% the black sheep of my family. Surprise, surprise! Because I very much go against the small box that historically has been made available to me. Or I'm accessing parts of life that the women in my lineage just have not been granted access to before. In this episode, I chat with an incredibly powerful woman, Verinder Rosodi, who I've looked up to for years, who I was looking up to before I even came into the current consciousness that I live in, before I even understood this dichotomy between a good girl and a bad girl. Vancouver Magazine has ranked Verinder Rosodi as one of these cities. 50 most powerful people, and honestly, rightfully so. She's got an extensive background working with senior levels of government, stakeholders, and the private sector, and she's founded many, many, many businesses. She's rapidly become one of Canada's most notable cannabis influencers. Yeah, I said what I said. A fierce brown woman working in the cannabis industry. So much so that she founded the National Institute of Cannabis Health and Education in 2017 to promote evidence-based research and education about cannabis. And in addition to work in the cannabis space, Ms. Rizzotti is a fierce advocate for women's rights, having co-founded a series of unique conferences called She Talks, which I had the privilege of speaking for in 2019, which is where I met the lovely Ms. Berinda Rizzotti. What I know Berinda for the most, though is the two terms she served as an elected councillor for the city of Surrey and when she ran for mayor and when she took leadership roles in public safety and transportation as well as her role on the board of directors for BC's largest health authority, Fraser Health. And I'm going to be incredibly candid and honest when I say that I know Berinder mostly for these two roles, not because of her qualifications, her hard work or her success or poise, but because of how she was talked about in the community and media when she was occupying these roles. Listen, ask any uncle in the community what they think about Berinda Rosodi, and you'll know why Berinda is the guest for this episode, Bad Brown Girl Starter Pack. Berinda has faced so much scrutiny, as most powerful bold women do when they step out of the confinements of this teeny tiny box they're told to spend their whole lives in. I didn't even know 90% of all the things that make up her bio, but I knew 
that it didn't matter how excellent this powerful brown woman was. Because as brown girls, we're mostly usually told by our elders, don't be like her. How come though? Right? Like how come? In this episode, we talk about just that. I got to chat with Brinder, who perfectly smashes this crazy dichotomy of a good brown girl and a bad brown girl. I ask her what's made her the bad brown girl for the community, how she continues to be the trailblazer she is despite the harsh criticisms that have surrounded her, and what she thinks in her mind constitutes a good brown girl. So let's jump right on in. So Brinder, I want to get right into it. I want to jump right into it. Why did everyone in the community talk so much shit about you? Well, Harpo, I think, you know, only those who did can really say why. I'll tell you, I'll share a few stories with you about how I've chosen to live my life. And, uh, you know, I think some of the things that brought people to really be fearful. Um, you know, I I was the first woman elected Uh, to Surrey City Council. And honestly, the fact that that didn't happen until 2008 is really telling, Um, especially in a community where so much of the community comes from Punjab, and I'm a Sikh Punjabi woman. And so basically, I think, and you know, because I've heard you talk about this too, and many, many women, is that I think there's certain standards and expectations that are set on women that actually come out of a place of fear. And I recognize that a little bit in myself of being a mom of a a beautiful teenage woman now, too. So what happens is that we have a very narrow corridor of what's considered to be acceptable. So when you put yourself out there and you're bold, not only with your choices in your life, but you're bold in expressing your beliefs, what happens is that you get judged. So... Am I unique to any Western woman or actually any woman in the world? No, but because I set myself up to be in public office, people did feel like they had uh, a right to judge who I was. So whether it was what I wore, um, whether it was who I was sitting and having coffee with, but really pivotal was when I chose to leave my marriage of 21 years. And then when you have a woman who's expressing her views on um, issues about ending violence in the home, talking about how South Asian boys are enabled to adapt bad behaviors and South Asian women are really um, compelled to step up and work harder and because of that are becoming more successful, those are messages people like to hear. So when I ran for mayor, um, not only were my signs painted with very derogatory terms because people made assumptions about why I, I left my marriage without knowing the true story, not knowing that I had not only the full support of my dad and my sons, not that I needed that, but see, even in telling the story, I feel like I need to justify, justify it. Justify it, yeah. Yeah, but then when I ran for mayor, one of the most awakening moments was after the election. I got a call from a South Asian teacher who said, I really need you to come to my class. And I said, you know, I don't have a title anymore. She says, no, I think I'd like you to see our election, um, our election project. And so I was overwhelmed, moved to tears, uh, definitely had won the class election. And afterwards, these three Punjabi girls ran up to me. They wanted a picture and they gave me big hugs. And they said, we told our dads to vote for you. And they said, no, she's divorced. In that moment, what I realized is that it didn't matter how qualified I was, how hard I worked, or what my views for the community actually were. All that mattered was this narrow definition of what 
aptitudes being allowed to have the title of being a good Punjabi woman. And I was none of those things, not because I set out to be a badass, but because I wanted to live my life on my terms to do what was best for me and my family. And, you know, Brenda, I've heard that story before, but it still makes me so emotional every time that the girls said, we told our dads to vote for you, but they said no because you're divorced. Because I, you and I connected in 2019, but ever since the day, I first day I saw your poster for when you were running for mayor, I felt this like really strong affinity for you. And I just, I don't know what it was and I still don't know what it is, but I have this like really strong, deep love for you and this connection to you. And I think it is because I saw so much of what I had potential to be. And I always say that you can't become what you can't see. And so I saw you and I was like, oh, I can become that. And to hear that there was so much scrutiny and so much criticism around who you are, it I felt like personally attacked because I also was like, well, why, why? Like, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. And you said something a little bit, you know, earlier where you were running for a public office. And so people had a problem with that. See, in my mind, running for a position like the mayor is so respectable and it's so, honorable and it's such a strong position and it it takes a lot for someone to like even consider doing something like that and to have people criticize you and say that you're too much or you're too bad for wanting to occupy a space like that doesn't make sense to me because I mean I'm not saying that one job or one kind of work is you know worse over the other but what is wrong with you even wanting to run for mayor it doesn't make sense to me what it does is positions of power give women what um, some in our community don't want, which is power over them. You know, and it's unfortunate that politics always gets brought down to the issue of power because it's not. It's about community building. It's about being a visionary. It's about good government and good policy. But really, your vote then impacts both their economic um, choices, but choices that they feel like they should have free reign over. I remember when I started the Surrey Coalition Against Domestic Abuse, um, quote unquote, supporters of mine would phone and said, what are you doing? Why aren't you focusing on roads and bylaws and development? And I said, because um, don't you want a better world for your daughters? And as soon as you mention the word, word daughters in a conversation, the tone does change for men, but still it's not issues that they want addressed. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, uh, political office is very, very highly regarded by South Asians. We're very politically engaged per capita more than other cultures. Uh, that is not a lie. But I dare anybody to look at how many times very qualified women fall short. And it is, we have to ask the question, do these men, particularly politically engaged men, not want women to have power over them? And that's what it ultimately gives us. I was going to actually ask you that, like, let's just be honest here, that it was mostly uncles that were talking shit about you, you know, and you answered beautifully why that is. But I think that there's also a lot of women buy into it too. And I would be lying if I said that that wasn't the messaging that I received from any women in my life too. Like they were, they were also equally judgy, uh, maybe not to the same extent, and maybe, maybe it was influenced by the men in their lives. But did you see women also buying into this villainization of you when you were running for, for mayor or have you experienced? that kind of villainization from women across the board and in all the spaces that you occupy? You know, I, I think it's not only true of me, but it's true of all women. As soon as you sort of want to break out from the pack, 
Um, I don't know if it's partly because other women want to and don't know how, or is it because then things become harder for them when women do start articulating these issues? Um, do those men then say to women in their lives, don't be like that? And then how do women feel powerful in their own situations? Maybe it's by holding on to what they know and they they don't know or understand how to be different. A good example of that is if you look on social media, uh, not as much on Instagram, but on Facebook, definitely. If there are posts about good news, beautiful pictures, a nice outfit, a nice meal, they get liked a lot. But as soon as you post something that questions our confines of the belief system that we've had to grow up in as South Asian women, even women don't like those posts. Mm. And I don't for a minute believe that they don't support them. I actually think it makes them nervous and afraid. So when we talk about this cultural shift that needs to happen for women to really authentically live and have a voice in a, in a public platform, um, it's not going to just take the men. It's going to take women too. And yeah, women need to step up as well. Yeah. And, you know, you say that don't be like that. Um, I think that uh, I've heard that so many times, not just in the case of, of you, but in any other woman, if I've mentioned it, even in my own home, if I've been like, oh, so-and-so is so cool. So-and-so is such a powerful woman. Um, you know, I've heard often around me, well, no, they're not. And then it's like all these stories get told about their personal life as opposed to focusing on their professional accolades or their professional success. And I think that that doesn't happen nearly as much as it does for men. Like if I've mentioned even like a really horrible man who has a lot of professional accolades, but has like a really bad track record in their personal life. Um, we're not nearly picking up the the covers and looking under the rug at men and, and what they've done under, you know, in, in their personal lives. And so why do you think that, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you if you think this because I personally do believe it to be true, but why do you think men get away with a lot more if they're in positions of power than women, either profess professionally or personally? Well, I, I'd go a little bit further than that, Harpo, and say it's not only in positions of power. Mm, yeah. I I think that men don't have to, not only do they wouldn't use the term hide bad behavior, what defines bad behavior for men is very, very different than what defines bad behavior for women. There, there are men with profile who, um, you know, are documented to have either had situations of domestic abuse in their home that they are the instigators of. There are situations where men don't keep either vows of being faithful or even indulging in good business practices. They've even done bad business practices. But the number of chances that they're given is really because people don't hold them up to any standard. It's the same adage that people say boys will be boys. It translates to men will be men. And women uh, can will never be perfect or accepted, but men will always be perfect and can do no wrong. Yes. And something that I heard when you were running was um, she couldn't even maintain her marriage. How is she going to maintain this city? If she couldn't even be a good wife and you know, just stick it through and put her family first, put her kids first. How do you expect me to vote for her? And I think that sentiment is disgusting. And but it does not happen to men. We never, we would never say that about a divorced man to for anything. We would never judge his 
um, you know, the way that he navigates the rest of his life based on his like marital status or the way that he's a father. We don't do that, but we do that for women so much, especially brown women, women of color. We judge them. We use this, you know, the, 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 how they show up as a mother and a wife and a daughter, um, as criteria for how they're going to carry out all the other tasks in their life. Well, it was quite amazing. So while I was elected, there was a male uh, South Asian counselor as well. And we would be at events and his children were actually much younger than mine. He was never asked who's looking after your children when we would be at a public event or if a meeting went long. I was always asked that. I have not met a woman in my life, especially a South Asian woman in my life, who left a marriage because it wasn't the best thing for her and her family, right? Because it is not an easy thing to do. And I know um, as a mother um, and as a woman, not only me, but many women make very difficult choices knowing what the consequences are, but because it is in the best interest of them and their family, not just them. And so, you know, I learned a long time ago that if you try to live up to that standard, you will achieve nothing in your life. And so what I've done is I've held strong knowing that my intent, what my intentions are and what my goals are and who I surround myself with and bring with me, because that is a part of who I am, is to support others who are on a journey. But um, I will not be liked, right? There will always, there will always be stories but those who are important to me know what's real and what is not. You know, Harpo asking uh, the tough questions really matters because there are women who are listening and, and women who honestly are either inspired or actually um, discouraged from doing things in life because of other examples of people that they see in the community. And I think leadership really is about um, being able to make difficult decisions, even when they're unpopular. And one thing I know about women, um, and including myself and my decision to leave my marriage, is that whether you decide to leave or you decide to um, stay, it's not an easy decision. And women don't make it selfishly. Women put a lot of thought into the decision because of the consequences, not only on their reputation, but also on their families. And so doing it means that you have not only given it thoughtful consideration, you've evaluated um, the impact it has on other people, and you do think about short-term versus long-term. And that's what good leadership is. And that's what we hope that women bring to all parts of their lives, whether it's their career, their families, or um, their public service. And I know for a fact that, you know, women who are faced with this difficult choice of when a family is broken um, often feel guilty walking away because then they're going to, you know, be faulted for how they raise, how their children turn out and other things. But broken homes don't come from divorce. They come from how the parents act after the divorce. Um, and for the women who are encouraged by their friends and family to leave, um, we can't judge them if they don't because only they know the circumstances of their intimate family and keeping a family whole is equally as important as being whole as an individual. And just because a woman's divorced doesn't mean they don't value family. And I think that's my understanding of feminism really. And about women's empowerment. That's my understanding of it is that we grant women choice. We grant them 
the choice to make the decisions of their lives. We consider them the experts, the best experts for the, for the, you know, happenings of their lives. And so whether a woman decides to stay or a woman decides to leave, that's entirely up to her. And you're right. We cannot, and we are not going to judge women for whichever one they choose. No, and all we can do for women is do what so many women of your generation are now doing, which is not only having a voice, but in that voice talking about um, circumstances that are uncomfortable for people. And in that women can then decide, you know, am, do I feel like the best thing for me is to walk away or is the best thing for me to try and get support and counseling for my spouse and my children and keep my family home? Whatever the decision is, it should be her decision and nobody should judge her for it, especially not society based on her career. And Brenda, what do you think about that sentiment of like how, how well you're able to like manage your home and how that translates into how you would have done as a mayor? Like what's the correlation <laughs> with that? Well, back to the correlation of what good leadership is. Good leadership is about making difficult decisions, even when they're not popular and being able to see long-term versus short-term. And I made that decision for me and my family, not because of what was popular in the short-term, but what was best for me and my kids in the long-term. And I made a decision that was very unpopular because I knew it had no impact on how I served the public or how qualified I was to do the job. And, you know, the fact that in the year 2014, it was that people saw that as a gauge of judgment is really an indication of how much work we have to do still. Yeah, I agree. A ton of work, a ton, ton, ton work. And we're recording this episode in 2021. And it seems like there's been some shifts, but I don't think that there's been you know, astronomical shift since 2014. And I can think of so many cases where I know men in my life who I've interacted with, I've worked with even who have done horrible things in their personal lives, but their professional lives are untouched, untouched. And their the institutions that they belong to have done everything that they can to protect these men. Um, and it's so saddening to see in 2021 that continues to happen. Absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. And it's not uncommon for a man to have be married a second time or even a third time. It's not uncommon for men in the community to have a wife and a girlfriend. Um, it's not uncommon um, that men hit on younger, attractive women in their professional lives. It's very common knowledge and nobody calls them out. And so if anybody's going to ask the question of whether somebody is capable of uh, doing their job well or being in a leadership position, maybe they should judge people by their individual behavior and um, how they treat others, not about what's going on in their intimate relationship in their own home. That really is nobody's business. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you was about your kids. And then I removed it because I was like, no, you know, we always fall into this trope of asking the woman about like, well, what kind of an impact did it have on your kids when you were going through something so public? And I thought, you know, that's, it, that always happens. We always end up talking about like women's relationship as as a mother to her children and the impact. And and there's so much guilt that comes around that. And when we can sit and talk about the guilt that you might have experienced as a mother um, when you were going through all of this, when you had, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, how, I don't know how many children you have, but I'm sure that you know you you care about them a lot, and and you don't want anything to happen to them. But even in framing the questions and framing the structure of this podcast episode, I was like, do I even want to talk about her kids? Because 
because what I have, what I have asked a man that question, what I ask a man, what impact did it have on your kids and how are you, how are your kids dealing with it today? Well, I, I think that's a valid question for any parent. I'm very proud of the fact I have three, I have three children. Uh, my children have always uh, been a part of my public life, whether they attended events with me or whether they were um, a part of the media story when I ran. Um, you know, any mom in any either career or even stay-at-home mom will look back and think, "Oh my God, I should have done so many things differently." But that that that's just being that's just being a parent. Um, did this affect my kids? For sure, it did. Uh, I hope that you know it's made them more resilient. Um, it's taught them to be different. It's taught them about what real priorities are versus what the noise in, in the world is. Um, but definitely, um, it's taught me that as a parent, you do have to teach your kids that being liked is an equality that you should hold up to a high standard. As long as you're a kind, empathetic person that has good intentions, there are always going to be people who are not only challenging you, but going around your back or trying to pull you down. And, you know, that's not a message that's talked about a lot. We, we focus a lot about, um, you know, support, empowerment, and building each other up. But no matter what you're doing, even if you're in the space of support, empowerment, and building people up, there are going to be some people who think you're doing it wrong. And so I think taking off your goals, being liked, is something that should just be crossed out right at the get-go. I always share this, that um, I'm like the black sheep of my family, like surprise, I'm the black sheep of my family. <laughs> but, you know, I say this and I said this in the intro that Berinder, you are someone who likes really smashes this dichotomy of a good brown girl and a bad brown girl, because there's so many of us that will say, no, she's the like, th that's my role model. And you are, you're one of my role models. So I, I don't even think that you're a bad brown girl. But then there's some people who think that you are a bad brown girl. And I also somehow smash that dichotomy in my life too. I am the most, um, so my grandmother has seven kids and she's got like so many grandkids and out of all the grandkids, I'm one of the loudest, one of the most disruptive. I'm one of the youngest too, but the most disruptive, like I've got like 11 tattoos and you know, I do whatever I want. I've, I've got a very unconventional career path and everybody knows like Harpo has an opinion and she's, you know, bold in everything she does. But simultaneously, I'm also one of like everyone's favorite because I am so warm. I am so loving. I am so respectable and respectful. Um, you know, I've grown up with my grandparents. So I know all those things that, a, you know, quote unquote, good Punjabi girl does, right? She, she knows how to navigate a family. She knows how to be respectful to elders. I, I know how to navigate those ins and outs, but it's so interesting to me because you said something about, I won't be liked. And I know that. And I know that even though simultaneously, yes, I am some people's favorite in my family. I'm also some people's like, you know, I'm the thorn in their side because, um, I trigger a lot for them that they either, uh, don't have, didn't have the capacity to also achieve or do or kind of go against that grain. Uh, but then also because it makes them uncomfortable because it, it forces them to also recognize and, and, and see where they're, where they're lacking or they're at fault. Or, um, I make them uncomfortable because I'll say things to them, you know, that they don't like. Um, there's, a, there's a, there's an example that I love to share. I mean, there's a lot of equality and equity in my family, but um, my father and uncle in the past have only ever taken their sons to go meet political figures. Um, you know, there's like 
party thingies that happen, you know, party thingies. Um, that's a that's the right way to say it. There's like these events that happen. Yeah, Sorry, what it is? Party thingies, right? It's just a bunch of uncles. Yeah. Um, and so I was very upset with my my dad once. I said, you know, my he took my younger brother who was like. 11 at the time, didn't care about anything, any of these things, but took my, my brother to go meet, um, the prime minister. Right. And my brother has a picture of the prime minister, all these things. And I was so upset. I said, I'm a sociology student in university and I care so passionately about social justice issues. And you took my 11 year old brother who doesn't even know who that is, but you didn't take me. And I said, if that ever happens again, I'm going to be so upset. It did. It happened again, you know, but the fact that I even was upset, the fact that I even expressed interest in going, I remember someone, someone said, why are you so upset? Women don't go to those kinds of things. And I was like, excuse me, what do you mean women don't go to those things? And so even then, even though there is equality, equity, all this kind of stuff in our homes, um, I still had to ask like, why is that space not available to me? Why are you not actively making that space available to me? Um, you know, and I think that, yeah, I just, I was really upset with my dad for a long time about that. But the fact that I even questioned that and said out loud that I wanted to be in those spaces was like a really big deal for them. Well, one of the things is Punjabi women aren't in those places. There's lots of non-Punjabi women at those events. Mm. In fact, some of the candidates are usually non-Punjabi women. So again, back to our earlier conversation, what do they think about the woman who is running for office, who is in this room full of only men. And let me tell you also how debilitating it is as somebody who's trying to seek office when lots of these parties or political events are taking place in people's garages where there's alcohol and, you know, bakra making involved. And that's not a stereotype. That does happen in Surrey, right? How many women can go to the Kabaddi field and take a mic and get the attention of all these potential voters? So as a as a South Asian woman, you're already set further behind than others because you're not supposed to be there and are not welcomed and are in fact not invited. Then for somebody like you, who's not only engaged and aware, but wanting to be a part of this process and are educating to be a part of this process, what message is it sending to you when even your dad who loves and values you and wants to see success for you doesn't feel safe taking you into that environment? Mm -hmm. So back to the whole question about why women who seek public office get a bad name, no matter what they're like, it goes back to this whole socialization of that space that we have created here in Canada that should not exist, but we we've our community has created it. So that the, that's very telling. I want to talk about one more the one other thing that you said, and that's about navigating that you can navigate the family well. So I'm going to throw this back on you a little mm-hmm. bit, and, and be, no, because right, um, and the word respectable, like what does respectable mean, and what does proper navigation mean? So everything I read about or watch on TV is that navigation of a family shouldn't be more than love, respect, empathy, kindness, and unquestioned loyalty. That should should be what navigating a family is about. Do you think that's what it is for us? And is are those the things that you talk about when you say I can navigate my family properly? In my head, it's the things that you've said, right? In my head, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, on the yeah. external, it's 
I'll say it in Punjabi because I don't know how to say it in English. Harpit family vich reya onu rena ondaya family devich, right? And what is that? It's yeah. compromise, right? It's putting yourself second. Yeah. It's always putting someone yeah. else first. It's it's yeah. stepping into this like domestic nurture role for everyone but yourself. That's what navigating a family means in those terms. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. in my head, it's all those things that you said, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it and it should be. If we can't have if our families aren't our safe spaces where we feel um, that we have complete equality and where, where we can express our vulnerabilities and our dreams and be supported in that, none of us South Asian women are navigating a family. Because I, mm-hmm. I would argue I have yet to meet anybody who has that in its entirety. And, and that, again, is, again, it's something that hopefully will shift over time but it, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because we're also not about our nuclear families. Our family mm-hmm. de- definition is about extended families. And then if it's not extended families, it's the aunties and uncles that you meet at receptions and at the Gurdwara or even in the mall. Immediately you go, oh, my God, like, oh, so, so-and-so's here. And even if that's Costco, but you sneaked out in your shorts versus putting on your sweats. and And that's a thing that I think is going to take so much time. But again, it's not going to just take the men. It's going to take the women as well. Yeah. I love what you said in your entire spiel about the Bukhara party. I love when why you said that. <laughs> and it, because you, honestly, you hit the nail on the head. That yeah. My mom always says that people see the world the way that they walk through the world, right? So it's it's like the way that you are is how you see other people. And so if you feel like you're uncomfortable as an uncle about a woman showing up or a, like a woman in your family going into a space, it's because you know how you have socially created that space and what that space looks like. And you feel like it's yeah. unsafe for your the women in your family to enter. It's okay for other women to be there because they're not your family and you don't care about them, but it's unsafe. And that's why instead of just vocalizing that and saying that, you would rather they not be there because then it makes you question how you've shown up in that space and how you've constructed that space. And you said that it's so hard. And, you know, I'm sitting here and it's so easy for me to say, Berinda, you're such a powerful, strong woman, you know, but it must not have been easy to be first the kind of fish that is swimming upstream right? To, to swim against the wave and the current, but then also to receive a lot of hate for being someone who is authentically themselves and who is swimming upstream already, but then who is labeled constantly as this bad brown girl. Um, how did you deal with it? Like on the ex- exterior, yes, you, you know, you, you did it really well, but there must've been so many points where it was so hard and you just wanted it to end. You know, it, this is going to sound, um, how do I say it? I don't mean this to sound hard because I am an empathetic, compassionate person who really, really cares about people. Mm. I knew as soon as I chose to do this, that there would be a part of me that literally just didn't give two hoots. You can't, right? Because otherwise you would never do it. Um, it, It's like the same for me stepping into the plant medicine space now. Right. So there was a post um, when I first entered the cannabis space um, and somebody, uh, South Asian male posted, oh, look, now she's acting like the, you know, she did this, this and this. And now uh, it's like she's a porn star. Like the equate, like they equated <sighs> my work in the legalized cannabis space to that of being a porn star. 
So I, on DMs, call, uh, called out a couple of the men who liked that post. And they're like, well, well, now, you know, there's such a big drug problem in the South Asian community. And now you're out there selling drugs. I said, I'm not selling anything. I'm working on policy. Yeah. Right. I, I'm now in a space that's legalized for this country. And if you look at the future of science and dealing with the opioid crisis or addictions or mental health, it's all plant-based medicines that are a part of our culture, Chinese traditional culture. But none of them called out any of the men who set foot into the cannabis space. I didn't, I've never heard anybody question them. So it's as soon as you choose to have an opinion that is different than others, that women will get targeted in the same way. So if I chose to pay any attention to any of them, I wouldn't do anything. So for me, the most powerful place to be in life is to be indifferent. And I am very indifferent to those narrow-minded, uneducated beliefs that some people choose to hold on what equates people as being respectable, acceptable, and somebody that they're willing to stand by based on their personal choices, not on their core values, beliefs, or their policy direction. Indifference. Facts. I don't care. Yeah, you don't care. So on that note, I want you to tell me and tell anybody else that's listening if we've 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 talked about you know the br- bad brown girl starter pack, let's talk about what a good brown yeah. girl is in your in your in your own definition in your eyes. What is a good brown girl? What is a good brown girl to you and to anyone else who needs to throw out their definition of a good brown girl out the window? Well, I, I I'm just going to choose not to even use the word good. Yes. Good is something that I use for our puppies because I'm trying to encourage proper behavior to make sure they're house trained. Women are not needing to be house trained, right? So let's get rid of that word completely. And what I hope is that we talk about empowered women who are able to use their voice and actually have power, not only over their personal lives, but their professional lives. So let's throw out the dichotomy that we've been asked to fit in, whether it's good or bad. Let's just talk about empowered, authentic, powerful women. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else more to it. Honestly, I think that the second that we start to create boxes, we have to start fitting people into yes. them. And that's where we run into trouble. And, you know, um, we, you and I met at our, uh, the, the first time in 2019, when I spoke at She Talks, the um, conference for, you know, women to come and speak in that you've started with other powerful women in the community. Um, and my entire speech, um, you know, at the, at the She Talks conference was about, how I used to be labeled as too much and I used to talk too much. And I use this metaphor of a box, right? And I've actually, um, I've got a wall behind me that's got a bunch of frames I can show you because we're on camera. And so I've got a bunch of them and I've actually framed the tweet that She Talks tweeted out um, at the on the day of the conference. And they quoted me and it says, um, you know, the world will always try to fit you into a box, but pick up the box flatten it, stomp on it a couple of times and go check it in the recycling box because you were not made to be boxed in. And I think that you said it perfectly, that dichotomy of the good and the bad makes you pick a box and we, that's it, we're done. In 2021, we're done with choosing boxes. We are done with choosing boxes and uh, we as women uh, need to also check our own biases and 
really think about the terms that we use to define other women and how we choose to define like success, Mm -hmm. just let everybody be who they are and define the best version of themselves. And as long as you're not intentionally lying, cheating or hurting somebody, everybody is like an amazing woman. That's it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Verinder, for having this conversation with me and asking you like very blunt, bold questions. Um, I I commend you even in in talking, but you know, you said it. You don't give a shit. So if you don't give a shit, nobody else needs to give a shit. So thank you so much for having this conversation with me, and then also for sponsoring the Brown Girl Guild, the BGG scholarship that we um, ran throughout this month. It means so much to me that um, you supported me, and then we're all gonna get to support another young woman entrepreneur. And I know it's so important to you to elevate and to really lay the foundation for other women to um, work their way up. So thank you so much for for making that possible for us um, and, and just supporting us and loving us through all of this. Well, thank you for having me and keep up everything that you're doing and just be empowered and authentic and just keep going. Something Brenda just said at the end of this episode is that as women, we really need to check our own biases. And I'm going to be very honest in saying that the way that I even asked some of those questions to Brenda or the way that I set up this episode still bought into a lot of those biases. Um, And I love that she said at the end that I want to get rid of that word good when it comes to a good brown girl altogether. Um, And it's true. I think that there are certain biases that I'm also constantly checking about myself when it comes to this dichotomy of a good brown girl and a bad brown girl all the time. And I think that it's so good to be called in by people in your life that love you and you love, you know, call those people in, open yourself up to being called in so you can unwork and unlearn those biases. I had a situation like that very recently and even though it made me very uncomfortable, and it gave me a lot of anxiety, I was really, really honored and just grateful that somebody called me in on my preconceived biases. And if life isn't just us figuring ourselves out, unlearning our behaviors, and getting rid of those and unpacking those biases, then what is it, right? So, Again, I love to say, grant yourself and other people grace on this journey as we are coming home to ourselves, as we are kind of, you know, getting a a, a whiteboard marker and uh, sorry, not a whiteboard marker, a whiteboard brush and just like brushing ourselves off and getting rid of all the residue. Um, We have to grant ourselves grace on that journey, ourselves and to other people, because it can be a really lonely, isolating journey. But um, if Berinder has taught us anything, it's to just not give a shit, man. Just stay in your lane. Just do your thing. It's all good. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This past month has been so fantastic. It's been so strong and I can't wait for us to go into the next one. As always, I need you guys. I really need you guys to like subscribe and comment and review and share the episode. I said that very aggressively. It's not that you guys aren't already doing that. I just feel like aggression gets you guys, but I need you guys to do all of those things because that's what helps me. That's what's going to help me pop off babies. Anyway, gratitude, glory, and grace to you guys all. I love you guys and I'll see you at the next one.